With us this morning is Admiral James DeVrides. He was the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO for four years. That is, he is one man in the know. He is also Vice Chairman of Global Affairs at the Carlisle Group. He is uh, now the Chairman of the Board of Trustees of the Rockefeller Foundation. Following 12 years at the, uh, as Dean of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, one smart guy. Good morning, Admiral. Hey, John, it's great to be with you, and I want to start by just congratulating you on your book that just came out, How Far Do You Want to Go?, which I think has a subtitle like Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. And I read it last weekend, John, and I just loved it. And I wanted to tell you that personally and also to say to people who are listening, it's just a very authentic book. And it concludes with 16 great life lessons that I think are just terrific. And I'm just going to quote one in the context of this upcoming talk. And and it comes from my time as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Your number one rule, John, is you can't win if you're too afraid of losing. And that was something I really kept in mind as a NATO commander. And I keep it in mind today as I look at the situation in Ukraine. So well done on your book, sir. Well, thank you so much, Admiral, and I admire your uh, uh, everything that you have accomplished as a, a former Greek immigrant. Uh, your parents were, and uh, it, it is it is an honor for to hear it from you. And uh, let's talk about the world. There's so many things going on, and uh, I've never been so afraid uh, of uh, of a problem until. Uh, the last year or two, uh, am I uh, correct in being afraid that uh, we're going to face a lot of world challenges? John, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of tactical flashpoints. Good example would be the Chinese spy balloon that flew over the country a couple weeks ago. Uh, and there'll be ups and downs in the tensions that are out there. Uh, most notably in Ukraine, I think, which is, of course, an active combat situation. But uh, here, John, I'm, I'm going to try to reassure you and simply say that, um, yes, there will be tactical ups and downs. But I think strategically, um, the long throw of history is marching along toward a more integrated global economy, toward cooperation. Um, and certainly we will see competition from China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, but they don't have the they don't have the global economic throw weight to really disrupt the world. And and just to conclude on that point, John, people need to bear in mind that as you look at uh, gross domestic product globally, the sum of all goods and services, U.S., Europe, Japan, Australia, South Korea, the West, if you will. That's about 65% of the world's gross domestic product. Russia's 2%. Uh, China is bigger, you know, kind of 17, 18% getting bigger. But even if you add Russia to it, it's kind of 20%. It's about a third of the size of the West. So I take some optimism from all that, recognizing that we do have uh, significant potential tensions ahead in Ukraine with China, with Iran, and with North Korea. Admiral, what's more important to China, its relationship with Russia or its relationship with the, with the West? You know, you've put your finger on the big question. And I think in Beijing, 
you see mixed signals right now. So on the one hand, you see a China that is putting forth a peace plan in Ukraine that is um, at least in in some ways seeking to work with the United States. And, and why are they doing that? Not out of the goodness of their heart, but because they know that's the path to grow their economy. They massively constrained their economy by the COVID lockdown. They're coming out of that now, but they're facing a, a global recession. So they need to get economic growth back. The way to do that is to trade with the West. Um, so that's one side of this, but your point, and it's a good one. On the other side of this, is China is an authoritarian state that is naturally inclined to line up with other authoritarian states. The other huge one, of course, is Russia. So politically, China wants to kind of lean toward Russia. They want to buy that oil at a big discount, which they are doing. But in terms of economics, they kind of lean the other way because they want a big functioning global economy. So it's a tough call for Beijing. And I think you're going to see mixed signals. Uh, also, uh, we've talked in the past about uh, a NATO country, uh, uh, Turkey, and uh, they wake up in the morning and decide whose side they're on because they're very close to the Russians. And now we have another mixed signals, it looks like, from India. Where does India really stand? I think it's a um, similar situation to what you're seeing in China, but there's one big difference, John. Uh, India is all about the economics. You know, they have not only a massive population, they'll overtake China as the most populous state in the world in the middle of this decade in just a few years. But unlike China, they haven't been able to lift a billion people out of poverty. So they have a huge economic deficit. And therefore, India ultimately is all about the economics. They're going to work with Russia because they can buy deeply discounted oil under the current circumstances. They also have a historical military-to-military relationship with Russia going back to the Cold War. They use some Russian equipment. On the other hand, they are looking for where the economics of uh, the global situation can increase flow of wealth to India. So look for them as the old saying goes, to follow the money. Um, I don't think they're going to politically align themselves with Russia, but economically they're going to trade with Russia because that's where the money is for them. Understood. They're buying – it comes back to oil. They're buying uh, oil at a significant discount uh, from Russia, and that's the the payoff of Russia to uh, whether it's China or whether it's India. And uh, people have to realize it's a a payoff in a way, and uh, uh, we understand that. And uh, uh, the other significant – Let me, John, add one more point to that. Um, Good good story in the Wall Street Journal this morning about – Russian technocrats. These are young men. I think they are all young men um, who have been trained in the West. They've worked at big Western banks, big Western finance companies, Western energy companies. They're coming back to Russia and helping Putin rewire the international energy uh, matrix, if you will. And so Putin is clever. I'll give him that. He's a clever tactician. He's a bad strategist. 
but he's a clever tactician. And so he's seeking to rewire the global energy structure, flowing Russian oil and gas principally to India and China. Yes, at discounted rates, but it keeps the traffic moving. And final thought here, one of those young analysts um, in the story goes down to Congo in Africa and cuts a huge infrastructure and energy deal. So we shouldn't underestimate Putin's ability to get out and about the world to keep uh, petrodollars flowing into Russia. Understood. Uh, China. Uh, let's go back to the Far East now. And uh, what do you think China's position is going to be uh, long term in the Far East as far as uh, uh, the, the big item on the, on the, uh, on the table is Taiwan? Um, and uh, I talked to another uh, a Navy man like uh, we both know of, but I'm not going to mention his name, uh, is that he is concerned uh, that the uh, Chinese might have us outnumbered in uh, ships, uh, etc., in uh, uh, in the uh, Far East or in the uh, Taiwan area. Um, do you feel that we're getting outgunned in that area? I think broadly speaking, China has more warships than we do. They have about 360. We have around 300. But we should remember ours are more capable, bigger. We have nuclear aircraft carriers. We have much more experience operating them globally. And we can concentrate them if we needed to into, for example, the South China Sea. So, yes, they have more ships. At this point, I wouldn't use the phrase we're outgunned there, but I think if you talk to the chief of naval operations, the secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, um, anybody, both political or in uniform, they would tell you we need to increase our ship construction capability, and I fall in that camp. Because at the end of the day, numbers matter. Quantity has a quality all its own, as the saying goes. So, yes, we need to increase ship numbers. Um, We've also got to bear in mind it's not just about ships in the South China Sea. It's about long-range aircraft. Uh, That's principally Air Force attack uh, cruise missile carrying bombers. Um, It's about the U.S. Marine Corps' ability to operate tactically behind Chinese maritime lines throughout the Uh, East Asian region, and the Army has a role to play here. So it's really all of our defense spending needs to look toward China, and we need to overmatch the Chinese threat. And I think to do that, we're going to have to not only increase our spending somewhat, not, not dramatically, but somewhat more increase in our spending, but also spend it smarter, John, more cyber, more satellites, more maritime, as we've talked about, um, more special forces, more unmanned vehicles. That kind of 21st century capability is where we need to go. Admiral, we've got a minute left. What do you want to tell the American people? They're, they're drinking uh, their black coffee on a Sunday morning. Give, give the American people... Uh, your analysis of where do we want to be a year or two from now? Yeah, I think the thing for Americans to remember is right where we started this conversation, John, it's it's perfectly understandable that people open up a newspaper, turn on the television, and they see 
very concerning situations, a war in Ukraine, China on the march in the South China Sea, Iran and North Korea we haven't even touched on this morning. And so it's very concerning. But I would say to all of us, there is nothing we cannot overcome as Americans because of the advantages we have here, huge arable land, fresh water, high-tech industries, an amazing military, um, every advantage you can imagine. We just have to pull together as Americans. We've got political divisions in the country. We need to pull together. If we do, we can overcome all of these challenges. Admiral, thank you so much for your uh, uh, service to our country and your continuing uh, speaking for out for our country. And I wish you were standing next to the president of the United States, giving him the advice because you, uh, I have the American people have a lot of faith in you. John, you're too kind. And uh, as a fellow author and a fellow Greek American, Efkaristopoli uh, for this wonderful interview. Thank you. We'll catch up. We'll catch up uh, in a few weeks. And thank you so much. Bye, John. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.